You're listening to Fish Food, where we present bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 25 minutes or less. Keep listening for interviews, guidance, and resources for freelancers and small businesses. And if you enjoy, rate and subscribe to let others know about the gem you found. Now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Fish Food. I'm your host, Keila hill Trawick, and I'm really excited because today I get to talk to a really good friend of mine and also a published author, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Amber Cabral is a business strategist and certified coach focused on helping organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits execute strategies to achieve sustainable diversity, leadership, and inclusion objectives. But I feel like it's better if you tell us what you do in words that make more sense to all of us. So Amber, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Amber Cabral. I am the founder and principal consultant of Cabral Co., which is an inclusion and diversity focused, um, inclusion, diversity and equity focused boutique firm. Um, I primarily service right now like fortune ranked household names. So if you own an article of clothing or a product by someone, it's possible that they've been a client with me. Um, And most of the work we do is either training or strategy work to try to get people to figure out how they can be good humans, both in their own lives, as well as in the workplace. So let's go backwards. Before you were the founder and principal of a boutique firm, what were you doing? Like, how did you get started in work and what brought you here? So I've, I've done diversity work or equity work for like 20 years. Like it's been a long time, but it wasn't, it wasn't my job necessarily all of the time, but it's kind of always been connected to my job. So I started out in Michigan at Blue Cross Blue Shield in Michigan I was and I you know kind of climbed the ranks I started out as a call center representative and then I was a unit lead and then I was a supervisor um, all of you know which were around you know supporting people with their health insurance and and um, that was my job for many years and then during my time in the call center close to the end of that window they decided they were going to do a diversity council and so I was voluntold <laughs> that I needed to be on the diversity council. And I was like, okay, well, it's time off the phones, right? Because, you know, when you work in a call center, everybody wants a little time off the phone. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so I joined this group and it was, I mean, it was great work. It was a good opportunity to kind of, we identified training for the organization. We kind of established some values, made sure that diversity was a part, a part of those. And at that time, diversity was the conversation. There was no conversation about inclusion at that point. It was just diversity. And so I loved it, but I didn't necessarily realize like how much I loved it. Um, I transitioned out of the call center and ended up being responsible for kind of, so there's, my job was um, basically a grievance coordinator, but that it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you work in healthcare. So, um, I wasn't coordinating people's grief, so to speak, but um, what my job actually was, was to make sure that if you, let's say you wanted to have a certain surgery that wasn't covered by insurance, but you felt like, hey, I have a unique circumstance. Can you please cover this? You know, I was the person that would work with you as your advocate to get everything you needed together to kind of appeal to the um, organization or even potentially the state to get whatever that was covered, right? So that was my job, yeah. And so you can do that. And then there's different levels, like there's level one, level two, like depending on like the severity of the 
thing. Like if I need this thing that you don't cover and I need it yesterday, you can, you know, obviously have like urgent grievances, right. That can come over. So it was, it was, that was what my job was. And so that was to me what I would hang my hat on, so to speak. Right. I work in health insurance. And so um, I adopted two young people while I was living in Michigan. That's a whole other story I won't get into, but um, when they went away to college, I was like, it's time to go. Like, I'm ready to get out of Michigan. So I left Michigan, moved to Georgia, found the same job being a grievance and appeals uh, coordinator. And I hated it. I hated my job. I hated Georgia. I was like, this is awful. I don't, <laughs> I don't even understand like why I'm doing this. And I figured out the reason I hated it was because the part that I loved was the diversity piece. And I wasn't doing any of that stuff anymore. And I was in Georgia where you know, to just be very honest, like, you know, the organization I was supporting was kind of behind in that sense, you know, they weren't, you know, uh, uh, you know, they just weren't really thinking about diversity the way it was happening in Michigan. And so I'm like, it's not even like there's a council I could join or, you know, an ERG or anything, you know, that I could just say, okay, I can still be a part of this work. So I worked there for a couple of years, um, right about the point that I was ready to quit and just bartend because I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I gave my notice. I ended up um, picking up an opportunity with Walmart Stores Inc. And I started working for them. I had responsibility for the global mentoring program. The global mentoring program then turned into uh, the intern program. So I had mentoring and interns. And then I ended up transitioning off of those into a corporate project focused on revamping the company culture, which was like great. Cause like these three jobs all gave me the opportunity to get closer to the diversity work, right? Like, you know, you're talking about interns, where are we going to get interns? Where are we sourcing talent? How are we making sure that they're going to be comfortable when they get here to Northwest Arkansas? And so I, I had the opportunity to kind of embed inclusion and diversity into, cause of course at that point, inclusion is a part of the conversation as well into the work and ultimately landed in diversity strategy at Walmart and did that for about two years before stepping out and doing what I do now, full-time, you know, boutique consulting firm. So that's, that's the path. It was a very windy road, but there was always a thread of diversity and inclusion in there. So I feel like diversity and inclusion, and I'm sure you see this more than anyone else, like we throw it around. Uh, yeah, I do diversity and inclusion work, or I do diversity, inclusion, and equity work. And I think that, especially in the way that you just described it, we are doing ourselves a disservice to make them all mean the same thing. So can you break down what those terms mean and how they're different from each other? Yeah, so um, that's a great point. I do think that the words get thrown around and then you add in some of the other popular words, you know, anti-racism, equality and belonging. Like you just, it's really like, what are we talking about here? But right. yeah, so diversity is essentially a group of people with their own unique identities, like whatever that might be, your unique beliefs, your unique style, your unique whatever. It's just a group of people, essentially. Um, it can also be a group of things. Like diversity is just essentially saying there's a mix of things happening mm. here. And then inclusion is, you know, a simple way of thinking about that is, you know, making that mix of things work well together. So you know, inclusion is how do I make sure that these different identities, these different unique perspectives, ideas, personalities are able to work together, that everyone feels valued, everyone feels welcome, everyone feels connected 
um, so that we can actually start to move forward and, and take some value from the experience that we're having together. You know, you can be in a place and not feel connected at all. Right. And so that's really the difference. Diversity is just kind of awareness that there are, you know, some differences here. Inclusion is actually the labor involved in saying, okay, I want to make sure that all of these differences have an opportunity to have their perspectives considered as well. And how are inclusion and equity different? I think we almost assume that if we're connecting well and we're comfortable, then it must be equitable and everybody's getting the same fair shake. But how are those different? Yeah, so equity is essentially saying that I have the same access to opportunity that you do and I'm getting the opportunity that I need, right? So equality is everyone gets the same thing. Equity is I get what I need to be able to survive here. So if we're thinking about inclusion, equity is a natural part of that because to include someone is to say, I want you to feel valued, supported, connected. Well, for me to feel valued, supported and connected, I may need opportunities to grow in my role. For someone else to feel, you know, value supported and connected, they may need, you know, to have an opportunity to showcase their knowledge in a specific environment, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. equity is about creating opportunity for people to be able to feel valued, supported and connected in the ways that are going to best serve them. Um, and so that's it. When you hear equity and equality, those are ways to or belonging, those are ways to be inclusive, basically. So I have known you for quite some time, but the bulk of when I've known you, you've been running your own firm and some when you were at Walmart. And so I'm wondering, before you got into all this, like, did you know that this is what you were gonna do? What happened or what were you like as a child or as a young adult that kind of, formulated itself into this kind of work for you? Because obviously you do it, I've always told you, you do it very naturally. It seems like the thing that you should be doing, but I imagine that all of that didn't come from just falling into the right jobs. Yeah, I definitely didn't fall into the right jobs. I don't even know that I would have, you know, it's very interesting. It's easy for me to draw a cohesive line across all of my career experience now that I feel like I'm doing a thing that's like, this is for me to do. But before that, I always struggled with like, how do these spattering of jobs like go together? Like, you know, I, I was, I did try to be purposeful in my career, but, you know, speaking about inclusion and equity, I didn't always feel like I had the same access to opportunity as a lot of people. And so, you know, sometimes the jobs I had were just that they were jobs, you know, now that doesn't mean I didn't do the best I could or, you know, value them, but they were not necessarily purposeful career decisions. I think deciding to run a business um, is the most purposeful career decision that I made and that I make daily. Cause you can, you know, you, you gotta make this joke regularly. <laughs> so every day. Um, yeah, it's a regular everyday thing to be like, I'm doing this, you know? And so, um, but this is the most purposeful career decision I think I've ever made outside of when I joined the um, culture and uh, diversity and inclusion team at Walmart, that was a pretty purposeful move as well. But before that, like a lot of the opportunities I had were just, you know, the ones that were available to me, not necessarily, you know, purposeful career steps that I think some people get the, you know, the wonderful opportunity to take. That was not my story. Um, so it's, I, I will say this, I think 
working in corporate and very big corporate, you know, Walmart's biggest company in the history of the world. So working in very big corporate to some degree can prepare you for running your own business. And so I think some of what even gave me the wherewithal to do this is having the experience I had in big corporate. But, you know, to kind of go back to your point, you know, I, I did kind of always have in the back of my mind that I wanted to do my own thing, but it wasn't so much that I wanted a business. I don't even know that I necessarily thought about it from the standpoint of having a business where like how things are now, where like I have people who work for and with me, I have, you know, you as an accountant, I have a tech person, I have a lawyer, you know, like that is not the way I imagined it. I just thought, you know, maybe I'll work for myself doing whatever this arbitrary thing is. And I would kind of be like a bit of a solopreneur and that would be it. But this has been more than that. And, mm. you know, unexpectedly so. So while I think the bug was maybe there, you know, I want to work for myself. I want to do what I want to do. It was not what this has turned into, which is like, no, this is a fully functioning business that like people rely on to like take care of themselves. And that's a very different world than what I thought I was getting into. It's interesting because I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago about how I don't know that we have enough conversations about the difference between working for yourself and running a business. And so we always start from this place. And I don't know that everybody starts from a place where they're necessarily doing it by themselves, but I would think that that's probably a pretty common start is that we start a business, we're doing it alone. And we think one day when I can afford help or when I think I need help, I'll hire people, but I'm not worried about that right now. And so making that adjustment really from, I do a service that is from me to, I do a service, but I only do part of it because I have a whole other team that really supports me being able to do that is a different kind of entrepreneurship that I don't think we talk about often. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this is an unexpected ride. (laughs) Um, and you know, I will say this, I think I worked really hard for my business before. So just to give some insight, when I left Walmart, I thought I was going to go back to another corporation. Um, I was looking for corporate opportunities. Corporate opportunities were looking for me. I interviewed with lots of people. I didn't get a single no. I turned down a couple opportunities because it wasn't the right fit based on the questions I asked because I got really serious about recognizing that I was interviewing them as well as they were interviewing me. Mm. And it was in that process that I remember vividly being on a call with a very popular organization that most people would be proud. And I'm sure the people who work there are proud to work there. Um, but I wasn't hearing answers I wanted to hear. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not a good fit for the role. And that was the last interview I did, period. Um, and as far as working for an organization and I made the decision I was going to work for myself, but I still, to your point, didn't necessarily think of it as I will have a company that has people who work for it, that they rely on for support, you know, like, and so the, the weight of, I guess, like, the weight that I put on myself because I want the business to survive is one thing, but there's a whole other weight when it's like, right. But other people are surviving on this as well. You know, they, they need the business to do well. They need things to thrive. And so, you know, now I'm in a, it's just a different, it's a different animal. It really is. It's a different animal. And I'm I'm shocked by it almost every day that like, I have done something that people can rely on, but also they're like, oh shoot, I have to keep doing it. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's a very special journey for sure. And how does that, you know, how 
did you know that you made the right decision? I imagine that when we're talking about, and I didn't really think about this when I left my job, but there are conversations now that I have where I'm like, if you want that life, you should keep working for somebody because entrepreneurship is not going to give you that. Mm -hmm. And so it also gives you a financial stability until you build a company that you know you're going to get a check every two weeks the way that you're supposed to. How did you feel making that decision financially when you said, hey, I'm not going to work for anybody else. I'm kind of going to set off on my own and do this. How did you know that that was the right choice when there's like dollars on the line, even before there are people? Yeah. So the way I did it, um, you know, I actually had this conversation last night with a good girlfriend of mine. I still have a bit of like a um, poverty mindset. And by that, I mean, I tend to think of things of like, as, you know, from the standpoint of like, how do I, how much do I need to, to survive? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of did a quick, you know, dirty math, you know, situation, like how much is rent? How much is, you know, at the time I had a vehicle, how much is my car note? How much do I need to be able to like eat all month? And like, can the business make me that amount of money? And I didn't even begin to ask myself those questions until I got to that place where I was like, you know what? I'm not interviewing with another job anymore. And then a week later, I landed a pre- like a client I still have to the Gap. I can talk about Gap because they are okay <laughs> with it. Some companies you can't say, but you know, I landed Gap. And when I landed Gap, um, I mean, like I was like, okay, this is great but is this like it? Like, is this, you know, like, right. is this the indicator that you're like, this is what you do now, you know? And it was a, a nice, it was a sizable contract, but I just, you, you just never know if you're like, can I duplicate this? And so what happened for me was I hit that wall where I knew I was done interviewing. Then I landed this contract and that's when I got into how much do I need to be able to pay rent? How much do I need to be able to have pay Carno? How much do I need to eat? You know, whatever bills, whatever. And I, kind of did like a rough number with that. And I doubled it. And I said, if I can land another contract in the next six months, that will get me to this number, I'm not going back to work. Like that was what I did. So it wasn't, it wasn't well thought out. Like you're going to see this much on accounting <laughs> and you're going to need this much for that. And you need to be able to say, like, it was literally like, can you survive? Okay. This is what you'll need to survive. Right. And then um, so I, I said, if I can hit that number, um, then, then, you know, that double that number, then I'll be fine. Like, that's going to be it. And I ended up doubling that number. So, okay. you know, I think my number was initially something like $32,000 or something. If I'm like, if I can just get to 32, I can pay everything that needs to be paid. Like I might not be super comfortable, but I don't have to work for anybody else. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat. Bills be paid. Rent is covered, you know, and then when I hit my day, I'd actually doubled that. Like it was a little over double nice. that, that I had landed in contracts and it was six months. And I was like, oh shoot, well, if I can do that, what else can you do? Right. And so what becomes the driving force for the business, at least for a while for me was, okay, well, what else can you do? You know, and like yeah. just that question kept me going and excited in some ways that like I'd never had at work before. And so it was, it was a fun time. It was a hard, yeah. labor-intensive, challenging, complex time as well. But like, there's nothing that would light me up more than figuring out, oh, damn, I can do this like this and it'll work. Oh my God, you know, and that's, I'm addicted to that. And so that's what kind of has kept me on this side of employment. Did you know when you started what work you'd be doing? And are you still doing that work now? Oh, good question. Um, no, not ex- yes and no. So 
I knew I was supposed to do inclusion and diversity work. It's in my bones. Like that's probably the most pointed and regular feedback I get from people who experienced our services is, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, like she's great at that. Like, you know, like it's a very common question. People will ask like, how did you get so good? You know? And so the work I'm doing, I knew would be the work that I would be doing, but this is the work that I would have been doing even if I stayed in corporate. Like it's, Mm. it is for me to do. So in that sense, yes. But I thought that if the business was going to grow, it was going to be someone else doing what I do. Um, I didn't realize that the uniqueness, the thing that people were really paying for that, you know, was was the draw was, no, the way you do it yeah. is what I want. You know, so it's like, yeah, I can go hire someone that can do inclusion and diversity. I can go hire someone that understands this work, but like, the way you approach it and the way you talk about it, that's what I want. And so um, I had to really quickly pivot from thinking I was building a company that was going to be trainers and strategists to a company that was really like, no, the business has to work. So you need accounting, you need legal, you need project management support, you need, you know, I needed all of that first. And now I'm at the point where, you know, my most recent hires have been someone that knows strategy that can support on that, someone who knows how to train and facilitate so we can start to think about things that they can take on so that the company can continue to grow. And But, you know, I had to realize that I was building a business around my skill set because I had this uniqueness versus building a company that just knows inclusion and diversity and you can get mm. anyone here to do it. Um, so, no, I'm not doing what I thought, um, but I am doing the work that I thought I would be doing. It's funny because I feel like, obviously we talk a lot about the parallels yeah. of things that are the same and the and that are different. And we have something similar with Little Fish where I thought that my, when I started the company, I thought my job was to do accounting and I'm good at it. And I, you know, I will make sure that it's taken care of. It will be accurate. It will be timely. Like I thought that was my job. And the longer that I've done this work, I realized that it's, it's how I make you feel about those things, that I can make you feel safe, that I can make you feel comfortable, that I can make you feel like it's going to be taken care of. And like that that's the value, the books and probably to your point, the training, like that's the baseline. I can do that work. I know how to do that, but you need to hear it from me in order for this to feel like it's doing what what you require as an end result of it. Right, right. No, totally relate to that. Like- it's, I mean, you sometimes, you know, but you have to do the thing though, right? Like, cause you don't even figure out what you're supposed to be doing without doing it. And so I don't think I would have figured this out without making the mistake of thinking it was going to be that way. And then yeah. finding out through the process, like, oh no, no, that's not how the business is going to work. So once you started understanding that like the business is different than I thought it was going to be, it's kind of built around me, but it's also built around how I end up doing this business was a book always on the menu or did was that a transition as well? Yeah, so um, another yes and no. <laughs> um, so the thing about my life is there are some decisions I made very young and pretty early that are like coming to like pass like now. And so like when I was really young, I always said like, I don't want to work for nobody. I want to work for myself. But I didn't know this is what it was going to look like, you know, or how it was going to show up. And so this book is another example of that, 
where it's like, I always knew I wanted to write a book, but like, I never could figure out what it was. Every time I would sit down and say, you know, I'm going to write my book this year. It's like, I never could figure out like, what is it about? Like, what, what am I talking about? You know, am I, is it a workbook? Is it a personal book? Like, cause I'm a pretty strong writer in general. And people knew that about me cause I used to blog for many years. And so it's, it's just kind of always been a thing that I knew I wanted to do that I, I care about writing and I want to be a, a good writer and be recognized for that skill. But it was also like, right, but you know, I'm busy in work life. And so what happened for me, um, and we're actually going to do an event coming up. So for those of you who are listening, you may want to hop over to my Instagram and, and check it out and, I'll, and we'll give you my handles and all that stuff too. But um, it, it kind of happened to me. It just like someone discovered me basically. And so, you know, people think you have to do, you know, this get an agent and find someone that wants to publish the book. And I did none of those things. <laughs> what I did was as a young person know that I wanted to write a book and was very purposeful about doing quality work. And the two met in the appropriate place and time along my life's journey. So I did an outward facing course I don't teach direct to consumer. Um, we are, you know, exploring some direct to consumer options right now. But like my my clients are big business, and so mm -hmm. I, because my project manager pushed me, and also I have a branding coach that pushed me and said you should do an hour facing course. Everybody right now, this was shortly after George Floyd's murder. Um, everybody's interested in allyship. They want to hear from you about it. You already know how to talk about it. This session's going really well. Like do an outward facing course. And so I did, I did an outward facing course. This woman joins the course and she basically is like, oh my God, this is amazing. And obviously you have the content because you're teaching. Would you ever write a book? And I'm like, of course I would write a book, but what do you mean? <laughs> you know, Glad and, you asked that question. <laughs> exactly. And so we end up having this discussion where she's like, yeah, I think you'd be a great author and this book is timely. Can you write it in 30 days? And I was like, can you give me 45 days? You know, <laughs> And that's how it happened. So yes, a book was always on the radar, but I didn't know the book was going to be about this. I didn't know the book was coming this year. I mean, it was the plan for me to start on it, but I can't tell you how many years that that was on my list of things that I wanted to do. And I didn't actually do it, but like, it just kind of tumbled into my life. Like, oh, it's time now. And so here we are with the book. And the book is called? Yes, the book is called Allies and Advocates. It comes out um, November 17th of this year, which is ironically also the same day that Barack Obama's book comes out. So I'm going to assume good tidings. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Um, so yeah, it's on Wiley Press, which is one of the you know oldest, most well-recognized business publishers, um, particularly here in the US. Um, but they publish books all around the world. And yeah, I'm super excited. We um, have we're in pre-sale mode right now. So anyone wants to pick it up, you can go to alliesandadvocates.com and place an order. And perhaps we'll make a book list. That's the goal. We like to make a book list. It'd be great if a New York Times, a Wall Street Journal says this is one of the books that America is reading. Um, but a little about it, like it's um, don't be fooled just because it took me 45 days to write. It doesn't mean it's, it's not a labor <laughs> of love. It was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. 51,000 words worth of challenge. But um, it's actually um, a very practical read. It's a it's a kind of like the training that I deliver, but in book form. So really tactical, easy to digest, you know, what to do, how to handle, what do I do when kinds of things. So, you know, what is privilege? How do I figure out what mine looks like? 
Um, what is diversity? What is inclusion? How do they connect to one another? What's equity inequality? Why do I need to know the difference? Um, how do I maintain you know, my own composure when I'm being faced with a challenging conversation, particularly right now when being an ally or an advocate is difficult, especially in this political climate, right? So it's, it's intended to be an easy to digest readable manual so all those folks in your life that are like i don't know how to support you know this is the book and the read for them what does it mean to be a black woman writing this book so many things (laughs) um So for those of you who are unfamiliar with me i am not just a black woman i am a very light complexioned black woman There's a reason I'm mentioning that. Um, When the book was initially, you know, this book has been put together very quickly because it's timely. So the publisher was like, look, you need to write it fast. We're gonna be doing a lot of things at the same time. And one of which is deciding on a book cover. Um, I gave them access to a number of photos of me, obviously as a new author so that they could, you know, use what they needed. But in addition to that, you know, they're designing a book cover and I get book cover suggestions back and I'm on the cover and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> like, this is not what a business book looks like. Like, I'm not, I don't know why you have my face on here. Um, I think that we need to look at another option. And so there were other options, but like, they made it very clear that they were like, no, no, this, you should be on this book cover. And I'll be very honest, like, you know, just even in my own privilege of being a light skinned black woman, because, you know, colorism is real and I'm a participant just by virtue of my complexion. Um, I had a lot of reservations about it. I was like, you know, they're going to just think it's a pretty girl on the cover, you know, and that's why they put her on there, you know, and I always consider myself far smarter than I am for whatever amount of pretty people believe I have, you know, so it's, it, it was a challenge. Like I had to kind of get really clear about some decisions because these are people who sell books. And they're saying this is the cover, you know, so there was a point. <laughs> I'm telling you what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, there was a point where it was like, Amber, are you going to get out of your own way? You know what I'm saying? And I had to do my own work around privilege because I think sometimes when we realize we have privilege, we also have guilt. Right. And being a light skinned mm-hmm. black woman is a privilege. And so I have sometimes the encounter guilt around that, like, ooh. I can see how I have access or opportunity or visibility that isn't available to someone who is also a black woman, but darker than me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I felt a way about it. Like I was really bumpy about it. And then I, you know, I started to put some perspective around it. Hey, a black woman took this picture of me that's on this book. A black woman served as my developmental editor for the book to make sure that what I had to share Um, made sense. I pulled in another friend of mine um, that's a Black man, you know, that's a historian to double check my work. So I started to realize like, this is you using your privilege, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have the privilege of writing a book, you have the privilege of being on the cover of the book, but look at all of the other people who are getting visibility and opportunity that are connected to you, that you're extending that privilege to. And so, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was, it was in it was it was uncomfortable. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. But now, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm. I, I mean, I still am a little surprised. It's a little jarring still to see my own face on the book. <laughs> um, you know, so I mean, it means a lot. So it means a lot to be a black woman writing a book from that perspective because I'm a light skinned black woman, number one, and colorism is real. But also, and I talk about colorism in the book because I don't shy away from the topic. But also, um, the other reason it's really important is you know, publishing is white. 
Mm-hmm. Publishing is white. Publishing is largely white and also largely male. And I mean, even thinking about the executive teams for publishers like Wiley and, you know, HarperCollins and the ones that we are familiar with, you know, you're talking about predominantly white spaces. And so the idea that you all would give an opportunity to a black woman that's not well known with, you know, doesn't have a huge following is like a big deal. You know, it's a big deal. And so this book doing well means a lot to me because it messages to these major publishers that, you know, black talent is worth investing in. And I want, I want to be able to, to help support the narrative that they need to maybe pivot the way that they've been, you know, approaching who could be a potential author um, in the past compared to how they can, you know, approach it going forward. I think that's really interesting too, because as, as we've gotten kind of bombarded with diversity and inclusion uh, messaging and people and personalities. And I mean, even the sheer number of black people in my circle that have been named or informally named the diversity person at work because they're basically the only person of color that's in their circle has been wild. And so I have seen a lot of diversity and inclusion panels and discussions and all of that that don't have any black people on them mm-hmm. that are majority white, majority white women. Um, and I wonder, in in connecting what we just talked about to this next question, what, one, what is the difference between an ally and an advocate? And two, do you think that the people who operate in those spaces, and obviously diversity is more than race. Like I probably am most conscious of it because I'm a black woman, but I also recognize that there's a whole boatload of things that make you different, that make you different from kind of what America considers the norm. Um, How do you feel like people who are operating in these spaces, specifically when they're talking about race, when it comes to diversity, are speaking on it in a way that can make them more aligned with being an ally or being an advocate as opposed to just kind of being an expert on the topic? Yeah, that's a layered question. Um, So, I will first say um, you there are a lot there are a lot of elements you're right like when you're thinking about diversity there's you know there's gender there's sexuality there's age there's I mean there's a lot there's you know there's so many things and a lot of these topics are are evolving a lot race the conversation of race is evolving a lot gender is evolving a lot you know and so there there are identity aspects that are going through a significant amount of change and so you will see a lot of diversity of identity doing this work. I, I generally kind of encourage people to look for identities that are doing the work well. And that's hard because we don't necessarily know what well looks like. And so I'll give a couple of pointers around that because I think there are some white women who are doing yeah. the work. I think that there are some um, Asian and Asian American people that are doing the work well. And just as I think there are some uh, Black men and women that are doing the work well, Latinx as well. And so there are a lot of identities that are doing the work and doing it well. And the way you can identify that is not so much just by the, the following that they may have potentially online, but look at like their track record in terms of like their work. You know, like look at, you know, if they've written articles, what do the articles say? Is there consistency there? Do they keep a pretty consistent cadence? Um, Some of the people that I've come across that are like in the work, but like they tend to be a bit more trendy about it. So, oh, it's trendy to talk about anti-racism. So I'm going to jump on that and we're going to talk about that and I'm going to lean in really hard on that. And then, 
you know, will shift to model minority, you know, because that's the thing that we're talking about, you know, and so when you see a lot of that hopping around on subject matter, that is an indication of someone that's not necessarily doing the work well, because the thing about this work is that regardless of where the focal area is, it's all inclusion, diversity and equity work. It all is. So you do you have messaging that's consistent around those things? Do you have tips and tactics that work regardless of if I'm not I'm talking to a black man, a trans woman, a person who is, you know, in their 80s or somebody is in their 40s, do the tips and tactics and guidances that you're giving me work across all of those identities and also in different spaces. That's doing the work well. You'll find people that will give you some great replies, responses and ways to handle folks out in the world and online, but you can't do none of that stuff at work, you know? And so it's it you do have to do a bit of labor to be able to identify what doing the work well looks like. So that's the first thing. And then the difference between an ally and an advocate is, um, and then I'll tell you why everybody needs to be both. <laughs> the difference between an ally and an advocate is simply this. An ally is, I notice that I have some privileges that some other marginalized identities do not have. And I want to do the work to understand the difference between what I'm doing and what you're doing and what our experiences are so that I can find ways to potentially extend my privilege to you. That's being an ally. I have access to open this door. Oh, I'm light-skinned. I got access to this thing and you don't. Let me see how many dark-skinned women I can get through this door as well. That's that's allyship, right? Like how many, How can I create an opportunity to extend the privilege that's available to me outward? Now, advocacy is a bit more about the system. Sometimes advocacy is also called um, accompliceship. People will say, you know, I'm not looking for um, allies, I'm looking for an accomplice. Accomplice mm. is the same as like advocacy, right? So an advocate is more about dismantling the systems. I want to protect you from a system that isn't working. I want to dismantle something that is potentially causing you harm. I want to stand in solidarity against something that may be fine for me, but isn't working well for you. So an example of that is like when you think about the protests that were happening, how they would have like on the outer ring, all the moms would line up. Oh, yeah. And then the next layer, it would be like the military. And then inside in the middle were the people who were like the core focal identities of the protest, right? I am willing to protect you from what's happening here, right? That is mm. advocacy. Allyship isn't always that way, right? Allyship is, you know, a bit more of like you, the individual, I see an opportunity I can connect and help you along. Allyship is, hey, this system is broken. Let me figure out how I can kind of, you know, position you so you are guarded against that. That's really the difference between the two. One's not better than the other. I need both. I need mm -hmm. you to be an ally sometime and advocate other times, both at other times. Like, And so I try to teach it that way so that people don't um, think that like we need to discard allyship. No, I need you to still be an ally. I need you to be the kind of ally that is in a room that says, hey, I noticed that we're missing a few identities here. Now, that's not necessarily you protecting or dismantling, but it is you being an ally for an identity that isn't otherwise being seen, right? So I, I need both functions. Um, and white women, honestly, play a key part in that. I need yeah. more white women to be allies. I need you to recognize when you have access, visibility, and resources that I do not, that you can invite me in and share with me. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm usually looking for as well when I'm evaluating people that work in the inclusion and diversity space that are not necessarily marginalized identities. Now, women are marginalized. So, of course, you right. know, being a woman, but, you know, like marginalized identities in, an, in a race aspect, I'm usually really looking to see like, OK, so how are you using, you know, your whiteness? How are you using, you know, the things about you that are privileges to kind of help open and hold doors open for others that aren't the same as you? So with all of the layers and all of the things that diversity, equity, and inclusion work includes, why did you want to write about this? A couple things. Um, I wrote about, so the book is Allies and Advocates from the standpoint of how to be both. Um, But it also gives you a good base level learning on a lot of the subject matter that goes into being able to show up and actually do that. Being an ally is not easy, okay? Like it is labor. And to do that labor, you need to be able to identify a privilege, uh, you know, that you have. Okay, well, that means there's a chapter in there about privilege. So you can think about what privilege looks like, how you can identify your own, what you should do with it once you identify it, right? Um, Another part of being an ally is actually knowing how to apologize. So there is a whole section in there about apologies, why they're important, how to deliver an effective apology, when you should apologize. And so the reason the book is called Allies and Advocates and it's focused on those is because there are so many other things that this labor includes. If you want to be inclusive, you, you can serve as an ally or an advocate to get there. Here are the things you need to know. Here are the things that will help you to decide what marginalized identities you want to support. And here are some tactics to get you started so that you can actually show up and do it. And so that's why the book is about that. And I think right now, in the midst of this ridiculous election cycle and also just with all of the very visible awareness around racial justice, I I need more allies, I need more advocates. And so if I can give you the resources to do that, I'm happy (laughs) to pass them along so that you can start to create spaces where we can start to have more equitable and inclusive experiences. You are so good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I am so proud of you. I mean, I'm proud of all the things that you're doing. It's been awesome to watch you grow, to watch your business grow, to see um, how the value of what you do gets recognized in different ways. I think, I mean, I want to say we all thought it was important. I don't think we all knew that it was important. We knew, I don't know that the world knew. And so it's nice to see that recognized and appreciated with all the things that you're doing and all the different types of work that you're doing. What is the, what is your favorite part of what you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, it's a very small little moment. The thing that I love about what I do is the moment where I see somebody get it. Um, And that's hard to, it's not guaranteed. Like I don't get it every time. (laughs) I got it a lot more when we were live and I was able to like really be close to people and you can just kind of pick up that, oh my God, I get it. Energy. Um, I love that. Like when I'm in a course and I'm walking someone through something that they're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. And then they have this moment where they're like, oh my God, I totally could do this way better. And I, I see how, and I love that. Um, 
So I really enjoy that the most. I love when I get the notes afterward. I mean, I've had, I had a woman send me a message the other day that was just like, you know, the conversation we had about colorism, like really, I was eye-opening for me. You know, I am a white passing Latinx woman and I've had a lot of guilt about it. And you just gave me so much perspective about like what I should be doing with the privilege instead of feeling guilty. And like that message is like, yes, that's what I want. You know what I mean? And I also try to share my own stories and challenges, like even the one about, you know, my face on the book cover, because I'm like, it was hard. You know what I mean? And it also wasn't the kind of thing that like, I couldn't really complain about it really publicly because it would otherwise just sound really vain. Like, oh my God, they want my face on the cover. Right. You know, like, and that wasn't, that's not useful, you know? <laughs> Look, guys, I mean, would you pick this? What do you think about me right. being on the cover? <laughs> exactly. And so it was like, it challenged me to even be responsible about expressing my discomfort because I get to be uncomfortable too, but like, you still have to recognize like, right, but you're a light-skinned Black woman and you're on the cover and you have a lot of featureism happening as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to be responsible about the way that you position this. And so what's the right way? And so that's what kind of got me to the place of like, who else is benefiting? How, who else can I serve as an ally for? Who else am I extending my privilege to by being on this book cover? And so it, so I, it's, you know, I, I struggle with it too. So I love those moments that people kind of let me know, like, oh my God, you said this thing and I got it. Like here for that all day. Yay. All right. Well, I thank you for being here today. I appreciate you. Um, I want everybody to be able to find you and find your things and find your work. Um, tell us all of your places on the internet. Yeah, so I'm all over the internet. Um, I'm almost everywhere as at Bam Cabral. So that's on Twitter and on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. And so that's at B-A-M-C-A-B-R-A-L. And that's Bam, like Bam Bam. So it's Bam Cabral. Um, so you can find me there um, under that handle. I'm in a lot of other places under that handle. And then you can always just find all of the things and what, what everything is at ambercabral.com and that's my first name a-m-b-e-r last name c-a-b-r-a-l.com and you'll find like the book the podcast the all all the stuff I'm doing because I'm a crazy person and can't do one thing at a time (laughs) and we'll have all the links in the show notes too so you all will have access to those but I know if you're listening as you're writing or you're walking you don't have something in front of you um, that you can hear it as well and know what's going on We, again, I appreciate having you here. I'm so excited for what's coming. I've already bought the pre-sale of the book and will likely get another so that I can share. And I invite all of you to do the same, to find Amber online, to engage with her and to really share out the messages and the work that she's putting into the world because I think it's important. I think we all have a part to play and she's giving you the notes on how to do it. I'm giving you the notes. And for those of you who are interested in writing a book and you're interested in how you could potentially land a book deal, I'm going to be having a pretty candid conversation with my uh, acquisitions editor that all you have to do to attend is buy a copy of the book. So if you buy a copy of the book between now or and whenever, you will gain access to that conversation. So if you're interested in writing a book and not sure where to start, that may be something you want to listen in on. You get Nice. And we'll put a link to the book in the show notes too so that everybody has access. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. No problem. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, there's good news. 
we've got additional free resources for you to get clear on your small business finances. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter by heading to littlefishaccounting.com slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at littlefishaccounting.